Are you that weirdo that loves an I survived story? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Hi, and welcome back. Or if this is your first time, welcome to your new favorite podcast. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. On this podcast, we have a cocktail and talk about weird shit. We've done it. We have done it again. <laughs> the perfect intro. <laughs> it gets better every time. <laughs> what is our cocktail this week? I am drinking a, you might hear glass uh, ice clinking in my glass. That's because I have a martini on ice. I know. Call me crazy. Crazy. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time or the last um, okay, so I am drinking What a Pear Cardamom and Pear Martini, and it's fantastic. I put it on ice to keep it chilled during our episode, but normally I like it without ice. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so good, and what a great um, – well, go over the ingredients, but what a great fall cocktail. Okay, so it's super delicious, super easy, and super fall-inspired. It is pear-infused vodka or pear-flavored vodka, whatever you prefer, lemon juice, honey, cinnamon, and that's it. Super simple. And then you shake it and pour it in a glass, and you're having a fall party. It's harvest time. And cardamom bitters, right? Oh, fuck, and cardamom bitters. (laughs) Which is the best part, the scrappies bitters. I know. Oh, my God. Sorry, Tessa. (laughs) Cardamom, I think, is my favorite flavor so far from bitters. I love cardamom in general. I Mm -hmm. always add, I bought just cardamom to add a little bit extra to whatever fall baking stuff I'm doing. Because sometimes Mm. the recipe will call for just like, you know, pumpkin spice seasoning or whatever, or just cinnamon and nutmeg. And I always add cardamom. It's so good. Oh, it's so, 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 so good. So this martini is delicious. It's delicious. I highly recommend it. Five out of five. And for the recipe, go to our Instagram. We always list pictures and the recipe for our drinks. So yeah, if you're not following us, go go do that. All right. Are you ready to get into our stories for today? Oh, yeah. Okay. What is our topic? In case somebody blindly pressed play and did not <laughs> read the title of this podcast. <laughs> or skip through our intro. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are doing I Survived stories or stories of uh, escape or survival, whatever you want to call it. I'm excited about it, but I just want to say I'm going to go first. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say my story is a very disturbing story. I'm going to talk about the details of uh, the experience and listener discretion is advised. Thank you for that. All right, so my sources for this episode are I Survived, Season 5, Episode 18, Escaped, Season 1, Episode 3 on the ID Network, an article on Ranker by Laura Allen, and court documents from this case. Baraboo, Wisconsin. Two hours from Milwaukee, the small town of Baraboo is populated by cheese-loving, beer-drinking Midwesterners, don't you know? It was in this small Wisconsin town, Thaddeus Phillips would experience an unthinkable and terrifying story of survival. 
July 29, 1995, 13-year-old Thad Phillips and his family had just moved into a new house in Baraboo. Falling asleep while watching TV on the couch, Thad was awoken by someone picking him up. Thinking it was his dad bringing him to his room for the night, Thad wasn't alarmed. He quickly realized it wasn't his dad, but an unfamiliar man. The man carried Thad outside and asked him to run with him. Thinking he was a friend of the family needing help, Thad went along and ran with him. On episode 18, season 5 of I Survived, Thad explained he wasn't alarmed because he thought the man needed help fixing his car. He thought, okay, maybe the guy asked my dad for help. My dad said no, so he was asking me for help. He was confused more than scared. They arrived at the house just a mile from Thad's own house. On the episode of I Survived, Thad said the house was, quote, a real dump. It was disgusting with trash everywhere, old food, old dishes. And it was then he realized this guy wasn't a friend of the family. In fact, he wasn't a man at all. He was a boy, just a few years older than himself. The boy introduced himself as Joe. Joe said he was going to throw a party and named a few other boys that Thad recognized. And in the meantime, Joe asked if Thad liked model cars and baseball cards. He led him upstairs to his room. And once there, he showed his model cars and his album of baseball cards and then was talking about the party and who was coming and when it was happening all of a sudden almost like a switch being flicked joe stopped talking as thad looked at baseball cards on the bed joe took hold of his right foot and twisted it until the bone above his ankle snapped and splintered (gasps) oh my god crying out from shock and pain thad knew at that point he was in trouble Joe then put his hands on his head, almost as if he was sorry that he did it. In that moment, Thad jumped up, made a run for it because of the adrenaline. He didn't feel the friction of his broken bone. Oh, my God. Reaching the top of the stairs, he managed to hop down on his one good foot. Thad made it as far as the kitchen before Joe was behind him, putting him in a chokehold, dragging him to the living room floor where he raised his right leg up over his head until his thigh bone snapped in two. Thad asked him why he was doing this, and Joe said he had a fascination with the sounds of breaking bones. Joe then takes Thad's left foot in his hand and twists it until the bone breaks. What? Yeah. This is horrible. Yeah. Thad said both his feet were backwards. At one oh point. God. This, he said the skin between his shin and his foot was like a rubber band. Oh, this is like giving me chills and making me... Physically sick. Yeah, like I don't mm-hmm. feel good. When I watched the episodes, I was like physically sick. Uh, Joe threw Thad on a spare couch and tells him to get, them sl- get some sleep. Thad uh, obviously can't fucking sleep. Uh, he said he had too much adrenaline running through his body and he, all he could think about was his family. The very family that was searching for him, totally unaware that he's less than a mile away from his house. In the morning, after a few hours of sleep, Joe wakes up and picks up right where he left off. 
With Thad's torture, he twists his feet and ankles again and again and again, multiple times a day, like almost every hour on the hour. He would go in and retwist the brakes and re-break the bones. And at this point, Thad tried to fight back. Um, when he was laying down and Joe was twisting his ankles, Joe's back was to Thad's face. Mm-hmm. So he said he would sit up and like punch him on the back, on the head. He would scream. He would hit him. He would try to fight back. He tried to rip his legs away from him. And Joe eventually put a pillow over Thad's face and said, if you don't stop fighting, I'm going to break your back. Jesus Christ. Thad, at that point, knew if he wanted to survive, he had to do what he was told. Um, and he just took the the torture and the beating and screamed into the pillow as it continued. Eventually, Thad realized, okay, I have to make this guy my friend. Maybe if I humanize myself, he wouldn't want to hurt me anymore. So Thad tried to strike up a conversation between himself and Joe uh, in, be- in between the uh, bouts of abuse. He asked him at one point, have you ever done this before? And Joe said, yes, I have. <gasps> and he asked Thad if he knew a boy by the name of Chris Steiner. Oh, no. Thad said he didn't know him. And a year ago, 14-year-old Chris Steiner's body had been found tangled in branches in a secluded area of the Baraboo River. His cause of death was drowning, and his manner of death was determined, was ruled undetermined. And I learned researching this case that there's a difference between cause of death and manner of death. Mm-hmm. Um, cause of death is would be like drowning, like water in your lungs. And manner Mm -hmm. of death is there's like four categories, I think. And it's homicide, suicide, undetermined, and natural causes. Okay. So it was ruled, the manner of death was ruled undetermined, but the cause of death was drowning. So they didn't know why he had drowned. No. Basically. Or how he got there. What had happened a year ago is uh, Chris's parents woke up in the morning and he was missing. And his screen was slashed open and there were muddy footprints in his room and also outside the house and the slider door that was normally locked was open was left unlocked but closed they were suspicious about chris steiner's death but they didn't have any proof they didn't know okay did he cut his own screen and run away although he was a good a good boy he wasn't a runaway he didn't have problems like that um they just didn't have any proof so it was is basically left opened and kind of unsolved so a year later almost to the day thad became joe's next victim thad was concerned that his captor was so freely confessing it could only mean one thing he was going to kill him 15 hours into his torture thad heard joe talking on the phone and made a mental note that there was a working phone in the house joe would go over the broken bones in his legs and ankles, twisting and turning them, hitting them, stomping them, jumping on them. I mean, he was, he's a fucking psychopath. He's a monster, like pure evil. Yeah, this is brutal. And it's also so impressive that Thad had any sort of presence of mind to think try to be his friend, remember Mm -hmm. this phone. And he was so young and going through this horrible experience. It's incredible that he could even think straight at all. Yeah, he had um, 
a presence of mind. And there was a psychologist that gave an interview on the episode of Escaped. And the psychologist said, you know, Thad had his body taken from him. And the only thing that he had in his possession was his mind. And he really used his mind to survive. Mm -hmm. So not only did this fucking nutcase Joe torture Thad, but what he would do was he would make rudimentary casts for his legs in between the torture. And then he would force Thad to walk on his legs. What? Yeah, it was... It's really fucking weird and strange and and it's scary. So the internal bleeding caused by Thad's breaks uh, made his legs swell up as big as basketballs. They were huge. They were purple. They were green. They were yellow. At one point, his kneecap, his left kneecap was totally backwards. It was (gasps) at the back of his leg. Oh. His feet were misshapen and grotesquely angled. And after about of torture, Joe would layer. Now, this is where it gets real, like, fucking strange. So after he would twist and turn and beat on Thad's legs, Joe would layer perfectly clean white cotton socks on Thad's feet. Like, layers. Like, one after the other. And... Despite Joe's house being a garbage dump, it was disgusting. Like, disgusting. They showed a video of it on Escaped. It was disgusting. Mm-hmm. Despite that filth that he lived in, his drawers were full of 300 pairs of perfectly clean, brand new white socks. So this was like a fucked up foot fetish also, it seems like. Along yeah. with the bone breaking yeah, it it it, it, it was weird. So he would place the socks perfectly. The toe line had to be just right. The ribs that go up the ankle and the shin had to be perfectly straight. The heel had to be just right. And it was layer after layer after layer after layer. So he would put several pairs of socks on his feet over and over and over again. Strange. Fucking strange. Yeah. So Friday night is when Thad was kidnapped. And by Sunday afternoon, Thad begged Joe to let him go. He begged him to let him go. He said, I'll tell people I fell over a table. Like, I won't, I won't tell anyone. And Joe actually toyed with him saying, ah, maybe I'll let you go. Maybe. Maybe I will. And then he would say, meh, no, it's too late for that. I can't let you go. Then... Thad asked, okay, well, just let me call my parents, like, just to let them know I'm okay. I won't tell them where I am. I know they're going to be looking for me. I just want to let them know I'm okay. And Joe said, all right, I'll let you call him. And he got up from the couch and he went across the living room and he grabbed a phone and he brought it back to Thad and he said, okay, you can call him. Thad picked up the phone, went to dial, put the receiver to his ear, and there was no dial tone. It wasn't plugged into anything. He was just fucking with him. So not only was he physically torturing him, he was psychologically torturing him the the entire time. Joe left that night, but before he left, he made sure that he jumped and stomped on Thad's legs. Leaving Thad on his bed, he was picked up by his girlfriend. Thad took his chance to escape. As he heard the car drive away, he rolled off the bed and slithered out of Joe's room 
His legs were completely useless. He was pulling, dragging himself by his arms. And he got to the top of the stairs and he had no choice but to throw himself down the stairs head first. There was oh no God. way to get down the stairs. So he threw himself down the stairs and he passed out at the bottom of the stairs from pain. Once he came to, he dragged himself to the kitchen where the one working phone was in the house. He only got as far as the living room before he passed out again. And he woke up and he dragged himself a few more feet and then he passed out again. And then he woke up and he dragged himself a few more feet and he passed out again. And he woke up and it was this time that he realized Joe was home. Oh he my was, God, no. Yeah, yeah, he was in the kitchen with his girlfriend. <gasps> and the girlfriend was still there? She had dropped him off. And they were saying goodbye. They were like hugging and kissing and saying their goodbyes. And Thad was so terrified. He didn't know, should I call out? Is she part of it? Will she will she join in on it? Will he get so mad and kill us both? He didn't know. So he was frozen. So he hid himself. And then Joe found him. And he said, actually, Joe was so surprised that he had made it down the stairs. He was kind of shocked for a minute. And then his shock turned to fury. And he dragged him back up the stairs for more torture. And he just was pounding and twisting Thad's legs. And he just took all of his fury out on Thad's body. It, it I mean, it, uh, this, Thad had so much grit. Like, I can't even imagine the willpower of it. He could literally do anything in this life with the willpower that he has. Seriously, it's incredible. I know. So on the third day of torture, which Thad said was by far the worst day, Joe is waiting for his girlfriend to pick him up, but he really beats on him this day. Like, mm-hmm. he said he would run and jump with landing, like, aiming both of his knees on his legs. Oh, my God. And this guy has a girlfriend. Imagine yeah. that. This monster <laughs> has a girlfriend. Well, this monster is only 17 years old. And he lives by himself, though. No, he doesn't live by himself. And f- what I left out was he actually lives with his parents, but they were out of town visiting his sister. Oh, okay, okay. I was thinking he must have been 18, but he was only 17. Only 17, and his parents were out of town for the weekend. Jesus Christ. I know. I know. This is such a sick, sick kid. Yeah, he's fucked up for sure. So, Thad, the only thing, like I said, the only thing he had in control was his mind. So, he knew because he had heard the phone conversation between Joe and his girlfriend. So, he knew that Joe was waiting for his girlfriend to come pick him up. Mm -hmm. So what he would do is he would say, oh, I I think I hear something. I think I hear your girlfriend. And Joe would stop torturing him and go to the window. He basically tricked him for like 10 seconds of peace. That happened several times. And after each time Joe would come back from the window, he would be angrier than the time before. And he would beat him even harder. But Dad said that 10 seconds, that 10 seconds where he wasn't torturing me, was all I needed for the next, to get to the next 10 seconds. Finally, ready to leave, Joe put that in the closet this time. Because last time when he left, he left him out on his bed. And this Mm -hmm. time he put him in the closet to keep him there. Now this is Wisconsin in the summertime. This is July, Mm -hmm. August. And Wisconsin is fucking hotter than hell in the summertime. And it's humid. And this closet was fucking hot as hell. He knew, 
he had to get out because time was running out for him. He hadn't had anything to eat. He didn't have any water. He had internal bleeding. He knew this, this was, it was now or never. He looked around for anything in that closet and this closet was disgusting. And he found buried on the bottom of a dirty clothes pile, a wooden guitar. And he beat the door down with a wooden guitar and got out of the closet, dragged himself to the top of the stairs and again, threw himself down head first, passing out at the bottom. Once he came to, Thad made his way to the kitchen by dragging himself, passing out every few feet. And he knew, he said, I have to get to the kitchen. I have to. There, there's no other option. I'm going to die if I don't. This time, he was able to make it to the kitchen and able to make it to the phone. And so it was one of those phones that's on the wall and it has a long curly dangly mm-hmm. cord. And he mm-hmm. said, thank God it had that cord. There's no way I would have been able to get up and reach it. Yeah. So he yanked the cord down. And another thing in his favor, the key pad was on the receiver. Thank God for house phones. I know. Seriously. So he, he was severely dehydrated, starved, bleeding internally, and yet he still managed to dial 911. And they have a recording on Escaped of mm. his 911 phone oh call. And I cannot imagine how calm and collected he sounds. This is a 13-year-old boy. He had just survived probably one of the the worst torture that you could ever do to somebody. And he is not hysterical. He is in full survival mode. Like he is just, I'm here. This is where I'm at. I'm alone. Come get me. So the police got there. Um, they were shocked by what they saw. They were shocked at the state of the house, how disgusting it was. And they were shocked that Thad had, they said specifically the grit to survive the ordeal that he went through. His legs were so swollen and they were black from all the bruising and the internal bleeding and all the breaks. So they got him on a stretcher. They took him to the hospital and they were trying to save his life. They said he was within hours of death. They arrested Joe at a party. He was at a party, just partying. It's fucking sick, man. Yeah. So at the hospital, even though he was heavily medicated, heading into surgery, the police interviewed Thad. They wanted to get his interview as soon as possible. And Thad told them, he, I'm not the only one. He did this to somebody else. Um, in fact, he had done it to two other kids, two oh other my boys. God. And Thad remembered the name Chris Steiner, but he couldn't remember the other boy's name. So they never found out who that third boy was. Oh, no. Joe never confessed, and Thad did his best to remember, but he said, I can't remember. I cannot imagine living through that and knowing there was someone else and then not being able to remember the name. Yeah, but I mean, that's... No, like the, 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 what a heavy burden Yeah, to have to carry with you. Even though it's not your fault. This, this kid was a monster. Is Honestly monster. surprising he remembered anything from any of it. Yeah, well, what happened was he remembered his first name, Chris. And he said, I, his name is Chris. And then the last name starts with an S. 
and I, I, but I can't remember the last name. So what they did is his dad brought him a phone book and in the hospital, he went down the list uh, of names of S's in the phone book and mm-hmm. he found Steiner and he's like, that's it. That's his name. Chris Steiner. This kid was already like a serial killer when he was 17. Yeah. A- an a- absolute monster. Um, so they exhumed and they x-rayed Chris Steiner's body. Normally they, according to the district attorney on escaped, she said normally they do a long bone x-ray uh, during an autopsy, but for whatever reason they didn't, they just did a skull x-ray for Chris Steiner. So they had to exhume his body and the Steiners wanted to know what happened to their son. So they consented mm-hmm. to the, um, uh, exhumation of his body. Uh, yes. Thank you. Exhumation of his body. So they x-rayed the long bones in Chris Steiner's body and they layered Thad's x-rays on top of Chris Steiner's x-rays and they were nearly identical breaks. Every place where Thad had a broken bone in his legs, Chris Steiner had a broken bone in his legs as well. This is so, this is such a sick and bizarre, like, what is it, pathology? This is just so intense it's it's very intense and very strange and so fucked up he's 17 years old yeah Ugh. imagine if he hadn't have gotten caught the escalation of somebody mm. at 17 who's doing this kind of behavior mm. um yeah i mean yeah during the trial joe admitted to taking thad but he says he blacked out during the torture sessions. Oh, of course. Uh-huh. He was found guilty and sentenced to 100 years for the kidnap and torture. Specifically, I think the charge was mayhem. Uh, he was charged with mayhem. And he was uh, 100 years. Yeah, good, good fucking riddance. Um, all right. So after he was sentenced to 100 years for that... A year later, he was found guilty of Chris Steiner's murder, and he received an additional life sentence in prison, and he will be eligible for parole in 2110, and he will be roughly 150 years old. So he okay. is never. Well, at 150, he can, he can be paroled. <laughs> he, and then I hope when he comes out of prison, walks out of the gates at 150, someone fucking pushes him over and breaks his legs. Seriously. So he will never get out of prison thank god um thad said on i survived uh at the end of that show they say you know ask why do you think you survived and he said i survived because of my family all i thought about was my family and being with my family and then on escaped he said i hope it said he doesn't hear much about joe's life in prison but he said he hopes he gets beat up every single day in prison that's fair. Which, yeah, I do too. I, I, I do too, honestly. So when the police went through the house, they found a notebook in Joe's room mm-hmm. and it had three lists. A get to now list, can wait list, and leg thing list. And then on those lists were names of boys in the oh town. Teenage, young, 12 to 14 year old boys in the town. Jesus Christ. So he absolutely would not have stopped. No. Thad saved every young teenage boy that would have come after him. 
He would 100%. not have stopped. He would not have stopped. And getting back to Chris Steiner. So when the police found Chris Steiner's body, he had been missing for six days. And he actually, I think, was taken on July 3rd, 1994. Mm-hmm. And they asked his parents, was there anybody that you last saw your son with? Well, the only name that they came up with was Joe Clark. That was his name, by the way, Joe Clark. Um, So they interviewed Joe Clark. Joe Clark was a a friend of Chris Steiner's older brother, so he was familiar to Chris Steiner. Mm -hmm. They interviewed Joe Clark, and... They were suspicious. They thought it was strange, uh, but they couldn't find any proof. And then his mom provided an airtight alibi for him. She said that he was asleep all night in his bed. Hmm. So they had they they had run out of leads for Joe Clark, and I just think that his parents were obviously they were disgusting housekeepers like this was it was like the landfill it was disgusting were they on drugs I wouldn't be surprised I wouldn't be surprised and I feel like if they came home and saw what Joe had been doing while they were gone that weekend they probably would have covered for him oh that's sick I mean their mattresses in the house were sheetless there were soiled, there was black stains, there was yellow. I mean, it was disgusting. So they were either like on white drugs or hardcore alcoholics. Nobody yeah. just lives like that in a normal state of mind. It was gross. And I can't imagine Joe's girlfriend going over to that house and like wanting to date somebody after seeing the state of his dwelling. It was it was like out of a episode of Hoarders. It was bad, but even worse than Hoarders because it was just filthy. Oh, God, it was filthy. Um, so, yeah, Thad saved everybody, everybody that was supposed to come after him. He saved their life. And he, the the will of a, of a 13-year-old who was new to the town, they had just moved there two weeks ago. Oh, my God. They had just moved there two weeks ago. Holy hell. Just this small suburban Midwestern town was was this monster. This 17-year-old psychopathic monster was hiding within like Midwestern suburbia. It's just, it's just crazy. It's crazy to me. And that is... A hero. Yeah. There's no telling how many lives he saved by, the, by his sheer will to live and to survive. I'm so sorry that Thad went through that, but he definitely saved lives and he's definitely a hero. Yeah. He had multiple um, surgeries after for several years and he um, still walks with a limp. He still lives in Baraboo and he doesn't really talk much about his experience, obviously. So that is the survival story of Thad Phillips. I mean, if that, like, freaking wild and crazy. You did such a fantastic job. That is an amazing story, and I can't believe I didn't know it. Thank you. It was it was hard. It was uh, as a parent, it's hard to do the kids' stories a thousand percent. It really is, especially the the, the so um, horrific about this story is as a parent, you feel like the safest place for your child is in their bed, in their mm-hmm. home, mm-hmm. and then you just have this monster coming in and plucking your children out of their home. And you would never suspect it to be another 
kid. No, it, this is a good lock your fucking windows, people. If Richard Ramirez didn't teach you anything, let this fucking psychopath Joe Clark teach you lock your fucking windows. And I am not victim shaming by any means. This is no. just a reminder. No matter how rural, how suburban, how safe, it, it could happen to anyone. Lock your windows. Yeah, as a, I have a teenage son, and I did get a little emotional when you were talking about that it was really Mm -hmm. sad but but like I said you did a great job thanks thank you so much okay uh are you ready it just started raining so if (gasps) you hear a little pitter patter it's it's rain I don't mind pitter patter I like it sorry we don't have a podcast lot (laughs) I'm just at home how's your martini Mm. it's fantastic I think every every sip it gets better. Good. Sorry, I just feel like I need to decompress a tiny bit after your story. Oh, so I wanted to ask you. Seriously, I've needed to decompress for like the last four days. <laughs> All right. So um, my source, my main source was a women's day.com article by Maria Carter. And I also watched an I Survived. Mm. And uh, I have a few other sources, but we'll just list them in our episode description. So, January of 2004 in Wisconsin. (gasps) Can you believe we both did that? No. Pretty crazy. Terry Jendusa Nikolai was at her ex-husband's house attempting to pick up her children. It was the three-year anniversary of their divorce. Their marriage had been a nightmare for Terry. David Larson had changed once they were married. He was abusive. He was incredibly controlling. He made her use the bathroom and shower with the door open. Hmm. Their doors had locks on the inside Mm. for which only he had the key. Okay. That is freaky. Yeah. Any small thing could make him fly off the handle. And finally, Terry couldn't take the abuse any longer and with her two young daughters, left David. Good for her. Now, three years later, Terry had remarried and was expecting a baby with her new husband. Aww. Because of the violence in their marriage, Terry usually insisted on meeting at a public place. Mm-hmm. But on this day, like I said, oh no, she was at their former home. Mm. So this was the house that they had shared together when they were married. Um, and this house, which is another similarity our stories share, was at borderline hoarder levels. Ugh, gross. Those poor little girls that had to live in that. David had kept all of the relics of their past relationship. Oh my God. Including... Get this. Their wedding video, which he showed. Okay, so he had their wedding video, and he would show it to their daughters as proof that mommy lies. What a fucking creep. Yeah. It's so scary to be in a relationship with someone and have children, and then it doesn't work out. Maybe it's amicable. Maybe it's not. And then be able to trust that person with Mm -hmm. your the care of your children you Mm -hmm. have to share custody and Mm -hmm. if you cannot prove that he was abusive to those children you have to share custody and they do 
fucked up things like that. And now, sorry to kind of go off on a tangent, but they have just alien parent parental alienation mm-hmm. is a form of child abuse, and that's basically like alienating the co-parent or the other parent, which is exactly what he was doing by, you know, gaslighting them and abusing them with parental alienation by showing him that them that video and then saying your mommy's a liar see this yeah and it's so hard to prove and back then even it it was probably not even a thing yeah probably not even though it's only 2004 probably not so terry knocked on the door and david answered alone saying the girls were playing hide and seek and wanted terry to find them Hmm. she was hesitant but finally entered. In the I Survive, she said something to the effect of, I'm a mom first, and I just know they like playing hide-and-seek games. He fucking used her love against her. Her daughters were four and six years old. Oh my god, this guy. When she entered, David began beating her with a baseball bat. He attempted to suffocate Terry with her socks that had been pulled off in the struggle, but Terry kept turning her head so he couldn't really get to her mouth. During the struggle, her sweatpants had also been ripped off. David then put tape over her face and taped her hands together. Oh my god. Finally, after a brutal beating that included part of her skull being crushed, Oh my gosh. David began to push Terry into an empty garbage bin. Fucking monster, man. Terry remembers having the presence of mind to flip around, so she went in feet first. Mm. Which is, like I said during your story, it's just incredible that she could even think at this point. It's the power of a human survival. It's just, it's it's like the strongest instinct and will that we have as humans, and it it's, it's incredible. It is. It's so impressive. So then... After Terry was forced into this garbage bin, David dragged the garbage bin outside, filled it with snow, because this was January in Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, yeah. Yeah. Put the lid on it and loaded it into the bed of his truck. The girls were in an upstairs bedroom the entire time. When the truck began to move, Terry remembered that she had her cell phone. She dialed 911 And through the tape that covered her and the snow that surrounded her body, she said David's address over and over. Fuck yeah, Terry. Then they lost connection. Shit. Terry called back again. This time Terry was able to say that her ex-husband was trying to kill her and she was in the back of a green truck. Finally, after an hour and a half of driving, the truck stopped. Terry heard her daughters laughing and running around. (gasps) She stayed quiet because she didn't want to traumatize them. Oh, my god. She gosh. also knew that there was nothing they could do. Oh, my goodness. What an angel this lady is. She was such a mom mm-hmm. on the I Survived. It's just, she, she was just incredible. Unfortunately, at this point, her cell phone rang. Oh, no. And David heard it and pulled it from the trash can. Oh, shoot. Was it 911 calling back? Uh, oh God, if it was literally your car warranty is running out, I swear, if it was a telemarketer, I would have hunted them down. Yeah, on the I Survive, she said that she didn't know who, oh, who it was. Um, who had called. It was probably 911 calling her back. 
So Terry's last connection to help was gone at this Mm -hmm. point. By this time, Terry's husband, Nick, was alerted to something being wrong. Mm. He called the police and they realized that David's address was the same address they had received in a 911 call hours earlier. Police officers had been to David's house, but it was empty. Mm -hmm. They had already left by the time they got there. Mm -hmm. Officers were putting together the pieces to this puzzle very quickly, though. Now everyone knew something was seriously wrong and Terry was in danger. Also, no one knew where the girls were. Hmm. Nobody knew if the girls were hurt. It Mm -hmm. amped up the whole situation because Mm -hmm. there were two young children involved. Mm -hmm. Detectives returned to David's house again and found Terry's sweatpants she had worn that day and a large amount of blood on the floor. Approximately 100 police officers and countless volunteers searched for Terry around town, like in abandoned buildings, anywhere that they thought that she might have been hidden. An Amber Alert was put out. During all of this time, Terry was an hour away fighting for her life in a storage unit, crammed into a garbage bin that was packed with now-melting snow. Oh, my goodness. She said she just kept trying to move to keep her body temperature up. Oh, my goodness. She said thinking of her daughter's unborn baby and husband kept her fighting. This is crazy. Police picked up David that evening when he arrived at work. Oh, my God. Yeah, like everything's like, fine. I just go into work like a normal fucking day, just not a monster or anything, just a regular old single yeah. co-parent dad just going to work. Yeah. Detectives Chris Schmalink and Thomas Noss spent six and a half hours questioning David. Every minute of them questioning him, just imagining Terry in this trash can covered in snow mm-hmm. with no pants or socks on, too. Mm-hmm. It's just, oh, God, it's just brutal. At first, David claimed that Terry hadn't shown up, so he took the girls to a sitter before work. And the girls were found at the sitter, safe, thank God. Yeah, thank goodness. Just thank goodness for Terry in the moment of trauma to have the foresight to think about her girls because what if what if she would have screamed and the Mm -hmm. girls would have seen her i mean he would have had to make a choice yeah and and who knows what his choice was she probably saved their lives so you know at first david like i said he's he was denying everything he Mm -hmm. said that terry hadn't even shown up at the house that day to pick up the girls Mm -hmm. finally the police officers told him that they found terry's sweatpants at his house yeah, we know you're lying. We, we know you're full of shit. Then his story changed. David claimed he had acted in self-defense. Hmm. And the events of that day were a blur. Hmm. And I watched another show called um, Three Days to Live. Mm-hmm. And David told the most absurd bullshit story that he had turned around to grab the girl's backpack. And while his back was turned, Terry had a hammer that she held above her head, and for some reason, her sweatpants were also down around her ankles. <laughs> it mean... was the fucking dumbest thing. The police officer was like, I cannot believe that this was the story he concocted. And so, like, he, David basically hit her with the baseball bat in self-defense. It's It was just so, such bullshit, and just, like, nobody's going to believe you, especially not detectives. You right. Idiot. Because I always pull my pants down around my ankles before I attack someone with a hammer, because... That's just so logical. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the, the audacity. Seriously. 
So um, even though his story was so, so stupid. Mm-hmm. Now detectives could search him. And in David's wallet, it had tons of shit, tons of paper, business cards, whatever in it. Mm-hmm. They found a business card for the storage unit. Fuck yeah. Stupid yeah. David. You're a stupid idiot. Yeah, David sucks. Those detectives are awesome. Yeah, they are. Police found the storage unit. And when they saw Terry, they decided to wait for paramedics to arrive to transport her because her condition was so severe. Oh my gosh, poor Terry. The police officer that found her, I think, was just on like a routine, you know, routine day for him. He wasn't Mm -hmm. expecting to be called to find something like this. And Mm -hmm. it was it was horrific. Oh, oh, right. Because it was an hour away. Yeah. Yeah. So they probably called another department to go mm-hmm. out and do a check on, on the storage exactly. unit. Exactly. Oh, shit. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my God. Terrible for everybody. Terry was in the garbage can for 26 hours. Oh, my God. Terry lost her toes to frostbite. She spent weeks in the hospital and had 10 surgeries. Oh, my goodness. She also lost her baby. Oh. On August 16, 2005... David Larson was sentenced to 35 years in prison for attempted first-degree intentional homicide. That's it? Since this horrible event in Terry's life, she has become a victim's rights advocate. Terry has been instrumental in creating laws that protect domestic violence victims, like Wisconsin's SAFE Act, which takes guns away from abusers. She is the state chairman of Marcy's Law. The goal of Marcy's Law is to give victims continual rights— Victims had statutory rights while the criminal's rights were protected in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Terry said that constitutional rights are more guaranteed and victims should, too, have the same rights. Yes, absolutely. This law was passed this year in Wisconsin. Oh, my goodness. Go, Terry. Fucking go, Terry. Terry also speaks at events to teach people about domestic violence and share her own story. Her story has been told on 2020, Oxygen's Three Days to Live, I survived and countless other news interviews, things mm-hmm. like that. She's she's been on a, a lot of shows. There is also a book about her story called Left for Dead, The Abduction and Survival of Terry Jandusa Nikolai by David Alfin. A few years after Terry's harrowing ordeal, she and her husband Nick had a baby boy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> that always gets to me. <clears throat> Seriously. Terry Jandusa Nikolai says she is not a victim. She is a survivor. Absolutely. Fuck yeah. You go, Terry. Congratulations. I just love stories like that because of of someone going through something so traumatic and then coming out and helping other people, spe- specifically domestic violence, because it can be so insidious. Mm-hmm. You know, they, your abuser starts off probably not abusive at all, and then it just slowly gets worse and worse and worse and um i think there's a lot of shame with domestic violence um victims or survivors feel shame and i which they obviously we they shouldn't no no and i think that in some cases can keep them in abusive relationships among other things it Mm -hmm. you know people say well why don't you just leave it's incredibly hard to leave an abusive relationship and it's also dangerous to leave most of the time, your abuser is very good at isolating you and taking away your resources. And belittling <laughs> you to the point where you feel like that you don't <laughs> even deserve to leave. Exactly. 
and it's just so amazing that survivors like Terry give back to other domestic abuse survivors and victims because it's it's important it is and it's she went through something so hard and Mm -hmm. so horrible Mm -hmm. but she's strong enough to use her own story and her own experience to teach other people and hopefully prevent something like that from happening again and it's Mm -hmm. just beautiful and it's empowering and she is a fantastic woman Mm -hmm. and woman mother it, it she's amazing amazing to be fighting for your life but still have the like the the instincts of a mother to protect your children before yourself is just it's so I can't even think of a word it just it's so amazing it is it's incredible well, I guess that wraps up our I survived. Yeah, I, roller coaster I, of emotions episode. Super up, roller down. coastery. <laughs> Almost cried twice. I'm fine. <laughs> We're fine. I mean, uh. and it's so it, it's interesting that we both picked um, I survived stories that had to do with. Um, uh, being a parent or child and because I think because we're parents and that's probably the mm-hmm. you know scariest thing the most tri- you know scariest thing horrifying yeah. thing that we could go through is as a parent or uh, have something happening to our children mm-hmm. you know it's if you're a parent you know like we are we are just like balls of like worry anxiety behind a fear facade <laughs> everything's gonna be fine I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine. Um, but Terry is an inspiration. That is an inspiration. And look, if Terry and Thad can survive the fucking fucked up things they went through, this is going to be um, uh, one of our closest episodes coming into Thanksgiving. You can survive your family this year. You can. Your, your conservative grandma, you got this. You can do it. Overcooked turkey, no problem. You've got this. before we say our goodbyes we just want to as always thank you for listening thank you for supporting our show thank you for the rate the ratings reviews and subscribes and the shares we appreciate you absolutely so on that note don't forget to love yourself lock your doors and your windows and light some sage Cheers to that. Cheers to that. 